0: Alright, well good morning church. If you guys got a Bible, go ahead, open up to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, what a deep and a rich passage of scripture that we have on the menu this morning. Uh, earlier in Hebrews we talked about, uh, you know, they're being teaching and preaching on, on the meat versus milk. Uh, We are in a meaty chapter here uh, that will need to be uh, chewed on. Uh, But as we start into today, I want to briefly walk you guys through the storyline of how Brittany and I's relationship has progressed throughout the years, okay? Um, You see, like most meaningful relationships, uh, the significant turning points in our relationships came at points where certain promises were made. And and here's what I mean. So, uh, you know, back in middle school and high school, we were friends, uh, but our relationship took a significant turn when I asked her to go to our high school winter dance, all right? Now, even in something small like that, asking someone to go to a dance with you, uh, even in something small like that, there are some unwritten promises that were made, okay? Okay. Uh, for example, by me asking to her to go to the dance with me, I was promising that I was going to dress up, right? It was a formal, you had to wear a tie, all right? So I dre- had to dress up. I was promising also by taking her that I was going to pick her up, that I would show up at her house and pick her up and, and we'd go together. Uh, I was also promising that I would blow her mind on the dance floor. Uh, and so promises were made, and let me tell you guys, promises were kept, Okay? Uh, promises were made. Promises were kept. And, uh, and then our relationship, though, took another significant turn when we started dating one another. All right? And uh, by you dating someone, you're officially kind of promising that you're only going to be pursuing that other person. Uh, and then eventually we got engaged. And when you get engaged, uh, you are promising one another that you are intending to marry that person. And you are, pr- uh, you are intentionally preparing for marriage. And then the wedding day comes, and that's a pretty significant day, right? You, you, you give your vows on that day. You make some promises, and there's a rightful weightiness and significance to your wedding vows. These are promises that you are making to God and you are making to one another, and you should not take those lightly. And these promises, you see, all along the way, these promises are absolutely necessary to have a meaningful relationship where covenantal love is both given and enjoyed. Now, listen, from day one, I knew I wanted to marry Britt, okay? Now, I can't—I I mean, it was, it was a long time ago, all right? But, but from very early on, I mean, I was in love with Britt, and I dreamed that marriage, that this—that is where this thing was headed, but you see, from day one, she experienced these promises, and, and, and as she experienced more and more of these promises that were, were made, and as she experienced more and more of these promises kept, she enjoyed the love that I was giving more and more. And the promise to take her to a dance was, ended up being a, a better than maybe she even thought initially, as it was foreshadowing that dance we would have on our wedding day. Now, here's the thing about promises. Uh, We we have a tarnished view of promises. We really do. We're a bit skeptical of them. Uh, You see, in our experience, the enemy, the world, our sinful flesh, they make promises that they can never keep to us, right? When we are tempted with sin, it's always tempted with a promise that that ends up never playing out. We've been in a lot of relationships with people that, that have broken their promises to us, And that hurts, right? Maybe maybe your life is not necessarily defined by promises made and promises kept, but maybe the significant turning points in your life have been promises made and promises were not kept. Promises were broken. But here's the truth that we need to really let sink in today. And it is that God's promises are better. And God's promises are better than anything we have ever experienced before. And not only that, but God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Now, before we jump in, I I want to clarify, we are going to the theological deep end of the pool this morning. Uh, and so maybe this can be the flotation device that you take with you if you start to feel like you are drowning in some of these theological terms, okay? Take this flotation device with you. God's promises are better, and he always keeps his promises, okay? God's promises are better, and he always keeps his promises. Now, the reason that I shared about my relationship with Brit is because God throughout history has entered into meaningful relationships with people through promises being made and promises being kept. This is how he operates. This is how he enters into meaningful relationships with people. He makes promises and he keeps promises. But you see, when we open up our Bibles to study a book of the Bible or a passage of the Bible, even if we understand who the author is and who he's writing to and what the purpose of it is, even if we go through all that work of trying to get the right context, and we should do that, but we can still fall short of understanding the proper context if we don't understand that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And when we don't see how a passage of Scripture fits into the storyline of the Bible, God's story with His people, how He is making and keeping promises, when we don't see that, we can very quickly, uh, and oftentimes we do, we misinterpret or misunderstand a passage of Scripture. But not only that, we can also miss out on enjoying and resting in the relationship we have been provided with God. And that's really what I want for you guys this morning. I want you to be able to enjoy and rest in the new covenant relationship you have been provided with God through Jesus Christ. And what we'll see this morning is that the Old Testament promises are better than we thought and the New Testament promises are better than we can even imagine. All right, I I hope that's what you walk out of here this morning, uh, coming to, you know, having an aha moment. The Old Testament promises are better than we thought, and the New Testament promises are better than we can imagine. Because here is what I fear for some of you I fear that you have not understood the overall storyline of God's relationship with His people. And therefore, I fear that you are living like God has asked you to simply go to a winter dance, and we'll just see how this thing goes. And that's nice. Don't get me wrong. Like, that's nice. But if you're still not sure if this relationship is going to last, if you're still not, still not sure if he's going to move on to someone else uh, you know, after this dance is over, uh, listen, you're not getting the full storyline that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. But this morning, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that we will see how the promises of God have progressed and how they've gotten better and better and how the Old Testament promises are better than we thought and the New Testament promises are better than we can imagine. God makes better promises, and he always keeps his promises. So let's pray, and then we will jump into Hebrews chapter 8. Father God, we do come to your word Lord, reverently, gratefully. Lord, we are are thankful that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us, that you have made yourself known, that you have given us your word. And Lord, we ask that it would be nourishment to our souls this morning. Father, I ask that you would help me preach clearly, that you would make plain your truth to your people, and that you would sustain us for the journey ahead. I do ask, Lord, that we would be enthralled by just how good and gracious you are and how glorious your promises are. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 8, verse 1. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. Let's stop there for a little bit. I love verse one. I mean, we're eight chapters into the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about Melchizedek and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, what's what's the point here? Let's bring it in. What's the point? Uh, Chapter eight, verse one, he says, now here's the point. Here it is. We have a better high priest. And he is the fulfillment of all that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And then get get this, because he's saying something even more significant than just that Jesus is a little bit better of a priest than the ones before him. He's saying something much more significant. Look at verse 5. By him saying that past priests served as a copy or a shadow. He is not just saying that Jesus is a better priest. He is actually saying that Jesus really is the only true priest. Priest. You understand that, that that copy or that shadow language? Like all, all this stuff with the tabernacle and with the temple and the priest, these were copies and shadows of the true stuff which is in heaven. Alright, now this language of shadows would have been a bit more familiar to the original audience. Okay? And that's not to diss you guys. Like, I, I do believe you are aware of what shadows are, all right? I mean, you guys have seen these things, right? You've seen shadows, you're familiar, but, but they, would have been a, they would have been a bit more familiar, okay? And that's because back in 400 BC, there was a Greek philosopher named Plato, all right? And Plato was known more, uh, he was known for more than just his closet at the mall, okay? Yeah? Right? Plato, right? That's a store, Right? That was a good one, all right? I'm trying to keep you engaged. That was, for the record, that was a good one, okay? All right, okay. But back, back in 400 BC, there was a philosopher named Plato, and he had a popular teaching about, about shadows in a cave. And, and, and people would have been really familiar with this back then, okay? And you see, in, this, in his allegory of the cave, he taught about how a group of prisoners had been chained in a cave their entire life. Like, since birth, they had been chained in this cave, and the cave was all that they knew. And they had been chained in such a way that their backs were facing the opening of the cave, and their heads were only facing the wall on the cave. All right? I don't know exactly how they were chained, but all they could do was look at this wall on the cave. They could never look at the opening of the cave. Now, on occasion, what would happen is that people would pass by the opening, and their shadows would appear on the wall. And the prisoners, who this was all they had known since birth, like they would get excited when the shadows showed up, right? Like finally, something to watch on TV, right? And they would wash the shadows, and all the shadows were all they knew, so much so that they would start to name the shadows. Uh, They would feel like they had a relationship with the shadows, and they would get excited when the shadow people showed up, all right? Now one day, one of the prisoners gets free, and he goes out out of the cave, and once his eyes adjust to the brightness of the light, he starts to see real things for the first time. Like he sees real animals, and he sees real people, and he sees all these real things that were the things that were creating the shadows. And he goes back to the prisoners, and he's like, guys, like, and he tries to tell them. Like, there's, there's real stuff out there. The shadows are not actually real. And sadly, the prisoners don't believe him. They don't believe him. Right? Imagine, I, I imagine that is somewhat how it looked for the early church, the early Christians, to try to share the gospel with their uh, uh, Jewish family members and friends. They don't believe him. All right, so, so the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us that these things in the Old Testament, like the Levitical priesthood and the temple and the tabernacle, these were all shadows of heavenly realities. When Moses got the blueprint on the mountain, God was not just making stuff up on the fly. He is actually giving Moses a copy of the real thing which exists in heaven. And so here's why it's important for us to understand that, all right? It's important for us to understand that things in the Old Testament served as copies and shadows of the heavenly things. It's important because when we talk about the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, which we're going to talk more about that today. And hopefully by the time you walk out of here, you will understand what both of those things are. But, but listen, if Old Testament and o- Old Covenant stuff are served as copies and shadows of heavenly things, then our author is trying to teach us to not look at these things as being on a linear timeline. Like, like, like don't look at it as being from this time to, to this time was the Old Covenant. And then from this time to this time is the New Covenant. No, he's saying, think of the Old Covenant as the shadow covenant and the New Covenant as the heavenly covenant. The New Covenant is the true substance that has always been in effect. The Old Covenant was its shadow and you can't have a shadow without a true substance. The New Covenant is the heavenly covenant that needed to be fully realized and fulfilled by Jesus, but it's not as if it was a completely new idea that God came up with after all these other covenants didn't work out. All right? So don't think of it as in a linear timeline, old and then new. Think of the old as the shadow covenant and the new covenant as the heavenly covenant. Are you guys with me so far? Okay, I realize it's, 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 we're going to we're go even deeper, okay? All right, but think shadow covenant and heavenly covenant. So first thing we need to just take away from this passage is this, okay? Is that the old was a shadow of the new, all right? We also need to take away that Jesus is not just a better high priest. He really is the only true high priest. But now I want to take a few minutes and understand covenants a little bit more. Uh, because I'll be honest, I, I feel like uh, in church life, in a lot of church world, like we throw that language out a lot. New covenant, old covenant. And I'll be honest, I, like even, even me at times, I have not known really what we're talking about when we use those terms, okay? So if you have felt that way... Uh, It's okay. All right. We all, I mean, those, those are those things we, we sometimes throw these church terms out and we don't really know what we're talking about. So we need to understand this concept of covenants a little bit more, and we need to understand how God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Okay. All right. We're going to enter in now to talking a little bit more about covenants, and then we're going to come back to Hebrews 8. Um, for a definition on covenants, uh, you'll find a lot of different definitions out there. I think the most helpful one and the one we're gonna go with this morning we'll have up on the screen, and that is a covenant is a meaningful agreement that binds two parties into a relationship through promises that are made. I'll say it again. A covenant is a meaningful agreement that binds two parties into a relationship through promises that are made. And although we don't see the word covenant until Genesis chapter six, when God enters into a relationship with Noah, we do see later in Hosea that although there was not an explicit covenant given between God and Adam, there was an implicit covenant in the garden nonetheless. Because Hosea six verse seven says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Right, Implying that with Adam and God, there was a covenant. And this covenant is what has been called by some as the covenant of works. The covenant of works. And we'll start to now have a slide up uh, because we're going to try to lay out these covenants for you so that you can understand what's going on. Some have called this the covenant of works or the covenant of creation. God creates Adam in the garden. He puts him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it and to exercise dominion over creation. Adam's going to have every tree to eat from except one. God promises him that if he obeys, he'll continue to have access to the tree of life and that if he disobeys and eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will surely die. Right? We see here in the garden God entering into a relationship with Adam through a covenant, through a meaningful agreement. Promises are made. Sadly, what we see is that Adam disobeys. And God, in his grace and his goodness, doesn't strike him dead on the spot, but Adam does start to physically die from that day on. But God, soon after this disobedience, makes another promise. He didn't have to make another promise. But he makes another promise, which has now been called the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. And this starts when he promises that a descendant of Adam and Eve will rise up to crush the serpent's head. Now, God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to give another promise. He could have just wiped Adam and Eve out right there in that moment. But no, our God gives grace and he makes another promise that he will certainly keep. He makes a covenant of grace. And in the rest of the storyline of the Bible, throughout this progressive revelation, we see God make more and more promises that can now be understood under this heading of this covenant of grace. Now, the covenant of works is still in effect, all right? God doesn't make bad covenants. He doesn't make mistakes when he makes covenants, all right? And so we're going to come back to the covenant of works in a little bit. But under the covenant of grace, we then see in the Bible storyline, it progress in Genesis 6 and Genesis 8 when God makes a covenant with Noah. God enters into a relationship with Noah through a meaningful agreement and promises are made. God promises that Noah and his family, after they come out of the ark, that God is never going to again destroy the earth by means of a worldwide flood. And God has been keeping that promise ever since. And we see in this covenant, with the covenant with Noah, we see in this covenant that all creation benefits from it. And in a way, it's foreshadowing that one day all creation is going to be renewed. Sort of like my dance with Britt in high school, foreshadowing that dance I would have with her on our wedding day. God makes a covenant with Noah. We then see that God makes a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 15, 17, God makes promises to Abraham. God promises Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. He promises he's going to give him land. He promises he's going to bless all the nations through his seed or through his offspring. We see God enter into a relationship with Abraham through making promises. We then see God make a covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel, and this has been called the Mosaic Covenant. And oftentimes, this is what theologians or the writers of the New Testament are meaning when they talk about the Old Covenant, all right? So most of the time, I won't say all the time, but most of the time when someone's talking about the Old Covenant, they're referring to the Mosaic Covenant. But listen, in the Mosaic Covenant, we certainly still see a covenant of grace. God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and then he gives them the law It's not that God gives them the law, and if they keep it, then he'll rescue them. No, he rescues his people, then he gives them the law. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that in the law, by God giving them the law, God was graciously showing them and sharing with them his holy nature and character. He was graciously exposing the sin in their own heart and their need of a savior. I mean, God, right, when he gives the Mosaic uh, uh, covenant, knows that they are not in the same innocent state as Adam because he gives them the sacrificial system. He says, hey, I know you're not going to be able to keep this perfectly, but here's the sacrificial system so we can still have a relationship together. Here's the sacrificial system so that I can uphold the promises I've made to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham in spite of the rebellion of humanity. He makes this covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel. And then we see God make a covenant with David. God tells David that through his family line, there's going to be a king that will come and protect and fight for and rule over God's people justly and righteously, and he will sit on an eternal throne. Church, our God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. But now we come to the new covenant, the new covenant. And our author is going to, uh, our author of Hebrews is going to quote Jeremiah 31, talking about, prophesying about the new covenant. But listen, understand that the new covenant is not some brand new thing. In fact, that Greek word new that we see here is the same word that we use see in 2 Corinthians when Paul talks about us being a new creation. It's the same word new that we see Jesus talk about when he's saying he's going to make all things new. And that word in the Greek is not the Greek word for brand new. There's a different word for brand new. This is the word for a new addition of something. Right? God, God did, you know, Jesus didn't say he's going to make uh, all new things. He said he's going to make all things new, right? There's going to be a, a new addition of them. And so the new covenant is not a brand new covenant, okay? No, the new covenant is Jesus finalizing the covenant of grace and fulfilling the covenant of works. The new covenant is Jesus finalizing the covenant of grace and fulfilling the covenant of works. And that right there is the key you can take and it will unlock the entire Bible to you. It will unlock to you the joy of the relationship, the new covenant relationship that you have with God. I mean, I mean right now, I mean, as we see it in, in that lens, now all of a sudden Jesus being the second Adam or the last Adam, all of a sudden that makes sense, right? Church, behold your Savior, who was in the wilderness. He was tempted by the enemy, and yet he perfectly obeyed, unlike our father Adam. He fulfilled the work that Adam failed to do. He fulfilled the covenant of works. Church, behold your Savior, the true substance of the shadow covenant with Noah, who through himself is going to reconcile all creation to God. Church, behold your Savior, the true substance of the shadow covenant with Abraham, who is himself the righteous seed, through whom not just one nation will be blessed, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed, through whom not just some land in the Middle East will be inherited, but through whom the meek will inherit the entire earth. Church, behold your Savior, the true substance of the shadow covenant with Moses, who is himself the true and faithful Israelite, through whom all God's people are rescued from slavery to their sin. They're cleansed by his sacrifice, and they're made a holy nation and a treasured possession of God. Church, behold your Savior, the true substance of the shadow covenant with David, who is himself the true and eternal Davidic King, who will defeat all our enemies and who will reign forever with justice and righteousness. Church, behold your Savior, who now offers you a relationship to God through the new covenant, which is the finalization of the covenant of grace and the fulfillment of the covenant of works. These Old Testament promises are better than we could, that we thought. As we see them play out, as we see how Jesus will finalize them, as we see how they are shadows of the heavenly realities. And it is this new covenant that our author tells us is enacted on better promises. Like really, can can God's promises get better? I feel like we've just covered some pretty good ones, but the answer is yes, they get better. So look back at Hebrews 8, all right? It gets even better as these promises get fully realized and fulfilled. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, let me pause there. What was faulty about the Mosaic covenant was not that God had made a mistake or that God had made a bad covenant. The Mosaic covenant was faulty in that it wasn't final. And the Mosaic covenant was faulty in that the people couldn't keep it. Okay, that is what was faulty about it. Not that God made a mistake, but it was not final and the people could not keep it. Verse eight. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, most Christians agree that Gentile believers have been grafted into the house of Israel okay? Because otherwise the new covenant really isn't applicable to us, all right? Uh, Christians will debate over the extent of this in regards to how it plays out in eschatology, but I believe that certainly the new covenant is applicable to us because we have been brought into Abraham's family through faith, all right? Paul, when he writes to the Galatians in Galatians 3 verse 7, he says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, all right? We have been brought through faith into the family of Abraham, I also think we can say that Abraham and Moses were Christians. Now, I know that kind of sounds weird to say, but they were Christians in that they had faith in the shadow of Christ. We have faith in the substance of Christ. Verse 9, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. All right, so so here it is. Let's see some better promises, all right? Uh, uh, Continuing in verse 10, he says, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. When the sun rises in the sky, right, the shadows get smaller. They're they're about to vanish. When when the substance is here, when the light of the world came, the shadows are vanishing. And in the year AD 70, after the book of Hebrews is written, the Levitical priesthood, the temple, it's all going to completely vanish at the hands of the Romans, right? So I realize I maybe did not leave a ton of time for us to unpack and apply these better promises of the new covenant But don't worry We will do more in in our city groups this week and we'll do more in the weeks to come Because we're going to see this new covenant talk continue throughout the book of hebrews And so I want you guys to start getting your mind around it this morning But here in this quote of jeremiah 31 which, by the way, is, uh, for Bible trivia purf- purposes, is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament, all right? If you were uh, wanting a little nugget of trivia for the morning, there it is. But our, our author in Hebrews doesn't offer much commentary on it like he does in some other passages, but all he says is that here it is. Here it is. You've been seeing these shadows on the wall of the cave, but but. And this isn't something completely brand new. This has always been there. This has always been the true and everlasting covenant. And the prophet Jeremiah then shares three of the better promises of the new covenant. All right, here are the three, three of the better promises of the new covenant. Look at verse 10. He says, God says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's the first better promise we touched on this a couple of weeks ago no longer is the law external to us hanging over us but through the filling of the holy spirit god's law has been internalized this is one of the better promises of the new covenant the law that was external has now become internal the law is no longer an external duty it is now an internal delight In Ezekiel, we also see prophecy of this new heavenly covenant. In Ezekiel 11, we'll have this up on the screen, I believe. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. This is what has been known and called the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. It's what Jesus was referencing when he told Nicodemus that someone had to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Our dead, unresponsive hearts needed to be enabled to respond to God's ways. The sign of circumcision was a shadow of the circumcision of the heart, the regeneration that needed to happen in God's new covenant people. And so the first mark or the first better promise of the new covenant is regeneration. No longer are we simply just commanded to obey. We are now by God's spirit enabled to obey. So church, take this better promise and go rest and go enjoy obeying God today that in Christ no longer is it an external duty, but it is now an internal delight. And if you've never received the Holy Spirit Let's let's talk about that. Ask the Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's one of the better promises of the new covenant. We are born again, filled by his spirit, enabled to obey and delight his commands. Look back at verse 10. Here's the second better promise of the new covenant. He says, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. When the Bible speaks of God knowing someone, or someone knowing God, it's not simply talking about God knowing some facts about that person. It's not simply talking about that person knowing some facts or some things about God. When God's word uses the word knowing, it is getting at the idea of an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship. In the new covenant, there's an intimacy that God promises to have with his people. A closeness that is so close, it's sometimes called a oneness It's what some have called our union with Christ. And therefore, when we we participate in the signs of the new covenant, baptism and the Lord's Supper, right, we are oftentimes celebrating our union with Christ, that we have such an intimate relationship now with God, that we are one with Christ. And this is the picture that baptism gives us, that we have essentially been buried with Christ in his death, and we've been raised in his resurrection to new life our union with Christ, our intimacy with God. It's a better covenant because there are better promises and God always keeps his promises. Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 12, he says, remember, if you really want to understand how much better these promises are, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 12, remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, no longer are we separated from Christ. No longer are we strangers to the covenants of promise. Now we have been united to the one who all the promises of God find their yes in. So church, go rest and enjoy in your union with Christ today. God has promised you that nothing is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and God always keeps his promises. First, better promise of the new covenant, regeneration. Second, better promise of the new covenant, union with Christ. Third, better promise of the new covenant, our sins are taken away. Verse twelve, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more it it's It seems too good to be true, right? Christ's death on the cross in our place appeased the wrath of God and the blood of his cross flowed down the cross and it flowed back into history to the start of history and it flowed forward into the future. Therefore, by grace through faith in Jesus, we have been washed by the blood and all of our sins past, present, and future have been taken away. In Christ, in the new covenant, all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame has been taken away, church. It's a better covenant because it's enacted on better promises. No longer are our sins temporarily covered over, but they are now permanently taken away. So church, go rest and enjoy in your relationship with God, your new covenant relationship with him. Your sins have been taken away. And it is the good news of the new covenant that we desperately need to hear and our world desperately needs to hear. It is the good news of the new covenant that is the complete opposite message from what we see happening in cancel culture today. Are you guys familiar with cancel culture? I'm maybe not the best person to talk about it, uh, but but cancel culture is this phenomenon right? that's happening where people are being called out for either past mistakes or past sins or maybe some present uh, uh, misunderstandings, and they're essentially publicly shamed, and people are encouraged to boycott their businesses, to, to uh, you know deplatform them, to not give them a voice, and a lot of people then end up losing their jobs as people then give in to the voice of the mob of cancel culture. And we see it really happening with, I, I don't even think it's a political, I think both, both parties and po- politics are, are practicing this to some degree. Now listen, the instincts of cancel culture are actually correct. The instincts are correct because everyone has sins in their past, and as image bearers of a just God, we do instinctively want every sin to be dealt with and every wrong to be righted. That, that is in us. And that is a good instinct. But the gospel is the good news that our cancel culture is unknowingly longing for. Their longing to cancel is really a longing for sins to be canceled and taken away. And the promises of the new covenant are better promises that our world needs to hear. That yes, everyone has a past and everyone has been in the wrong and done wrong at some point or another. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God has not left us to our own destruction. He has initiated a covenantal relationship with us that the Father has ordained, the Son has accomplished, and the Spirit has applied. And all we have left to do is respond with repentance and faith. But one of the hardest things to get our minds around is that the promises God makes are so much better than any promises we've known or experienced before. We can't get our minds around it. We can't believe it. It really does sound too good to be true. But church, know this, that our God does make better promises. The Old Testament promises are better than we thought. The New Testament promises are better than we can imagine, and we can trust him to always keep his promises. So church, don't go back to living under the covenant of works. Keep enjoying through faith that Christ has provided you a new covenant, a heavenly agreement, where God fills you with his spirit. He unites you to Christ, and he takes all your sins away. May you enjoy and rest in your new covenantal relationship with our great God who gives and keeps his promises. Let's pray.